Hi, everybody. George here. Uh, I'm excited to share the news with our listeners that thanks to people just like you, we're being recognized by the Podcast Awards in not one but two categories, People's Choice and TV and Film. Uh, the nice thing about the Podcast Awards is that the first stage is grassroots-based, so while it's awesome to be nominated, we want to win, which means we need you to vote. Here's how. First, you go to podcastawards.com, and right at the top is a link that says click me to nominate my favorite podcasts. Uh, register your name and email so that you can be counted. And that'll take you to the actual voting page. People's Choice Awards are right at the top. Scroll down to the T section because we're under the instead of best, which is not perfect formatting, but whatever. Click us and do the same for TV and film, which is further down the page. It's nice and simple. Just save your votes. That's it. You're done. Tell your friends to vote too. We'll keep people updated, but spread the word and keep your fingers crossed and enjoy the episode. Thanks. Hi, everybody. I'm George, and this is The Best Little Horror House in Philly, the show where we talk about the best horror movie ever made, according to our guest, at least. And I believe this is our first Emmy-winning guest. <laughs> a writer for incredible animated shows and one of the hosts of a podcast that I truly adore, Goosebuds. Chad Quant is here. How's it going, man? Hey, George. Thank you so much for having me. And, and by the way, I had to add an asterisk. That's very nice of you to call that out. It's a daytime Emmy. It's <laughs> An Emmy is an Emmy is an Emmy. If I'm shooting for one of those EGOTs, right? Yeah. You know, the I, I realized that if I ever got a Grammy and an Oscar and Tony as well... I'd have to get a D in front of it. So it'd be a D got. It'd be a D got. That's the new. Which thing. doesn't sound nearly as impressive. Yeah, right. I know. That's the new hotness. I guess so. Maybe yeah. It's either that or a villain from a Metal Gear Solid game that never came out. <laughs> oh, that's D got. So so, what do you think is your is your next one? You going for the Tony next or what? Oh shit, that's a good. Yeah. Oh god, this is the most. Per- if I didn't know who me from a previous podcast, I would hate me already, George. Uh, I'd say let's see. All right. So I got the uh, Emmy. Right. So yeah, Grammy, Oscar, Tony. I think musical would be the most fun. Yeah. Oscars just shit on comedies all the time. So unless I'm going to do a, like, The Help type movie, I don't <laughs> right. think, I don't, which I'm not going to, I don't think I, I got a shot at an Oscar. Well, if you go with the musical, too, you know, you can kind of roll that into all of them where you get the official soundtrack and that wins the, the Grammy and then you get the uh, movie you... adaptation and you get the Oscar that way. So that is. Yeah. You start it's with your... the Tony, right? That's totally <laughs> yeah, what it exactly. is. And the Tony <laughs> leads down to other roads. That's yep. actually very smart. Yeah, that's the uh, the most efficient method, at least, for, I, for all you egotters out there. Yeah, I don't know what musical story I have in my heart other than about, like, a boy who loves peanut butter and his parents won't let him have it. Wow. I don't know what other story to tell. Rela- that's so relatable, though. I think we've all been there. <laughs> like, like, maybe, that's, maybe that's what success is. Uh, it was, it's, it's Book of Mormon once, and then whatever came out this year, and then... And then Peanut Butter Boy. It's going to say Peanut Butter Falcon, but that's already a fucking movie, isn't it? God damn it. <laughs> yeah, well, I think Peanut Butter Boy is a, is a splendid name for it, and I'm sure that people will be clamoring to see it on the Great White Way. <laughs> Thank you. It's very nice. <laughs> nice of you to say. Yeah, uh, uh, George, I, I'm just going to do the shout-outs now. I'm going to do the the tags. George, if you guys don't know if you're from Goosebuds, George just did an episode with us. What, now, a couple episodes ago? What terrible book did we cover? Uh, it's all been a blur. We talked about How to Kill a Monster. Which how to was, Kill a Monster. Yeah, that's it, right. It didn't give very good instructions because they didn't. They didn't kill it. It had allergies. <laughs> yeah, natural natural selection picked it off, if anything. <laughs> yeah. Which is terrifying to say in its own right. <laughs> actually, actually, George, I wanted to talk to you about a, the Venn diagram of our podcast overlapped this week. Do you read Man Thing at all? 
Uh, I don't, but I I saw the I saw that that R. L. Stein himself has been has been working on it, right? Yeah, he, he's published some uh, issues of of with Marvel's Man Thing, different than wow. Swamp Thing. It's of different. Course, of course, they're both sentient vegetable justice plants, but they're very <laughs> different. Uh, boy, oh boy, I was not expecting Man Thing to deal with Bitcoin jokes. Uh, what is happening? I gotta be honest, that's not where I'm expecting Man Thing to go either. Yeah, um, right. Does he have a laptop in the swamp? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it comes in. I, I don't almost want to spoil some of the, the panels that have been posted online, but if you just mm-hmm. Google R.L. Stein man thing. But. Great missed swings at horror comedy, much like what we cover <laughs> on Goosebuds all the time. Yeah, well, that's the R.L. Stein special, baby. See, R.L. You know, you know what? You know, I, I shouldn't be punching down. It's, just take the swings, R.L. Just go for it. <laughs> Write what you know. Yeah. And what you know is jokes about uh, Man-Thing wearing sneakers, and that's what you got. What more could you ask for? What we could opinion? ask for, yeah. I immediately, I immediately feel bad for punching down on R.L. R.L., we love you. We love you. Oh, <laughs> please. So... For people, like I said, you're the host of the show, Goosebuds. Was Goosebumps your intro into horror, or did you get into it in a different way? That's a very good question, because I don't think I've ever thought about it before <laughs> uh, in regards to despite doing a podcast about it. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think so, in terms of what I was allowed to absorb as a kid, a li- slightly protective parents... You know, Mortal Kombat, Bloody Roar, all those video games are absolutely no go. <laughs> PG thirteen movies at the most. Right. Ghostbusters turned off in my early adolescence when the demon dogs attacked because they might be too scary. Even though my brain was like, I like whatever this is. I want to keep going <laughs> down this road. Yeah, uh, Goosebumps was kind of like the gateway drug to a little kid going, "What if I got scared for fun?" Like that, that kind of, <laughs> that kind of. Oh, there's a, oh, there's a big hamster. That's, that's very scary. What if a hamster bit me? I'll, I'll read this. Like, yeah, it's like it's like the most first step down into the spooky basement. Absolutely, and I mean. It's definitely the Scholastic Book Fair is the kid equivalent of like teenagers walking down the the like VHS aisles and stuff yes. of, of a movie store because you walk around and you're like, oh my god, that cover! Like I don't even know if I can handle what's behind that cover. And of course, you know, it's these classic R.L. Stein corny jokes and cliffhangers that wind up being nothing, but. If you're just going based on the artwork, I mean, those are some scary, scary things. And oh, as a yeah. kid, it's titillating. Yeah, the oh, the artwork is, I, I think Tim Jacobus, who did at least the, the first line of all the covers, like, he deserves at least more than 50% of the credit, I think, for Goosebumps' oh, yeah. success. Like, <laughs> those, all of those illustrations were so fun that I was like, I want a skateboard of all of these, you know? Oh, like I Absolutely. Yeah, it's that kind of like, why don't you uh, just come down this serial adventure? I mean, it was when you were talking about it, George, I, I hadn't really thought about that connection to the way the Scholastic Book Club, I feel like, was every month. I'm sure it wasn't, but as a kid, it felt like every month there was a new fair. Yeah. And... Like, because of that, there was always a new Goosebump book because he was getting, like, monthly. They were just pulp comics. Like, as Can't we're sure talking work. about this, yeah, I'm like, oh, that's all it really was. It's the, it's the monthly comic book issue, but it was just uninter- no fun images, but just <laughs> just text. That's all it was. I definitely relate to that. And, you know, my it was a little bit of, of my parents being like, I don't think you can handle this. And also me genuinely not being able to handle it. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, think my, I think the few times my mom saw me buying one, she's like, 
oh, Chad, sure, there's just such an ugly, you know, I mean, my mom sound mean. She was worried. She was like, that's such a gross looking cover. Are you sure you yeah. want them? I'm like, yeah, I want the gross cover. It's got slime on the side. Yeah, it's just, it's it was it was very smartly targeted at our generation of young horror uh, consumers. Definitely. Are you still into, like, adult horror literature, or do you kind of get the, like, reading out of your system with having to do uh, goosebumps? Oh, George, I don't read books anymore. Uh, (laughs) No, you know, it's there's more truth to that than you may think. But I I think I I target more horror, uh, particularly video games. Like, Mm. just, I love the Resident Evil. By the way, I am aware that I'm I'm passing on your question about books and going, but Resident Evil, though. No, hell yeah. Uh, (laughs) Let's talk video games, man. I fucking love Resident Evil. (laughs) Well, we... I mean, yeah, we should. We should talk about Resident Evil. And I'm so excited about the new one. They just announced Village. Like, please, let's continue yeah. the story from Seven. It's something about the medium of horror. I have gotten more into stuff where I can lose myself in it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. I, I get bigger jumps and scares and, and thrill moments out of video game play, you know, just because I'm losing myself in it. I'm Leon Kennedy for a second. Right. As opposed to, at this point now in horror films, I think uh, I'm so aware of the craft, so to mm-hmm. speak, like, which is I barely am scratching the surface of film understanding. But, like, I, I'm seeing the sausage made so easily that, like, I'm not really in the movie much. Right. You know, like, Jordan Peele stuff has just, like, like blown me away in the re- and I'm like it's like oh what a what a fascinating thing where I went to a horror movie and I was actually like wrapped up in it for <laughs> once and I was really worried that everyone wasn't gonna make it like I, I have forgotten what that was like in a lot of films uh, in the last couple of years but yeah. I'm still I'm still trying to hunt some stuff out um, I I think you're right I think that when you watch things with a, with such an analytical eye or you work in the industry or whatever it is. You know, you start to see the moving pieces a little bit more. Yeah. And so when you're even even if it's just that you have a intense curiosity about these things where it's like when you watch someone get killed in a movie, you're like, oh, I wonder how they did that. Yeah. Instead of being like, oh, I'm scared. <laughs> Yeah, totally. Well, I, I, or if I if I don't know how they pulled it off, I mean, I I don't know if this counts as a horror movie because if it did, I would have picked this instead. Like, Children of Men is one of my favorite films ever, and well, I, I'm sorry to tell you, Chad, but I would have allowed it. Ah, oh, god damn it! Can we just talk about that instead? Of, I, I I know everything that happens in it. Um, You'll have to like, just come back for that one. Oh, please, I might have to. Uh, like, amazing film, and there's definitely some terrifying moments in it. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's parts of that one where like I don't know how they did those those steady cam shots. Right. Some of those some of those co- like long takes must be fake. I, I I don't know what they did. Yeah, stitched together. Stitched together. But it, it, if it's done so well, I'm not hopefully thinking about like okay, I guess there's a track here and there's a giant 20 ton camera moving alongside <laughs> the car. You know, that kind of. Yeah, it's uh that. I mean, that one in particular definitely has some incredible incredible cinematography in the way that they're moving around. It's it's great. And yeah, I, I would definitely count that as a horror movie because, uh, I, in my opinion, horror is a, a very, very wide-ranging genre. Yeah. And just because it's not like something jumping out and trying to kill you in that way, you know, sir, that's horror. But also the existential dread and this crazy disease that they're dealing with and, and mm-hmm. the being on the tipping point of a cliff, uh, you know, that's at this point, that's more scary to me. <laughs> than oh, watching totally. uh you know just a, a, a slasher uh you know it's 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 people who are who get so hung up on what is and isn't 
horror, you know. Uh, that's not my bag, is all I'll say. <laughs> I, I, I appreciate that, for sure. Uh, you know, it's, you're, you're talking about the suspense stuff, you know, uh, and maybe this will be a good segue into what we're talking about, but hmm. one of the first films I checked on your podcast, you know, when we were talking about me coming on, was, all right, what is, what is George covered already? And 20 Days Later was already, was already picked. And after I got through my blood rage of jealousy, and I get to talk about 20 <laughs> Days Later... I, I kind of had this like to, that was me was the perfect zombie movie because it was less jump scares and more just suspension and tension mm-hmm. and everything. So for this episode, I picked a movie that is almost the opposite of 28 Days Later. <laughs> you sure did. We're talking about 2004, Zack Snyder's feature debut, The Dawn of the Dead remake. Oh, my God. Also, shout out to youngish James Gunn. Screenwriter. Yeah, definitely. He wrote the screenplay. He's an avid fan of the original. When he was hired to write this script, the studio said basically that they were looking for like a re-envisioning mm-hmm. of Romero's film, not necessarily like a remake. Basically, what they were trying to do was your body snatchers, the thing, the fly, that sort of where you take the core concept yeah, and then yeah. you really uh, exploded out in a different direction. And they were like, we're going to take this zombie movie that basically is just four people living in a mall. <laughs> and we're going <laughs> to aim it at younger fans, and we're going to get them into horror by, ter- by turning this up to 11. Yeah, um, and that's oh, totally. exactly what they do. It's 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 almost a comic book action movie. Like it's it's fascinating to well, which makes sense based on what Snyder went on to to do. Well, that's exactly it. I, I'm I'm curious about how you feel about Zack Snyder in general. If this is sort of a one off, or if you're generally a fan of his movies, because this to me. Um, even though it is his debut, it definitely feels emblematic of a lot of the stuff that he would go on to do. You know, um, yeah. the way that the action is shot. I know that this is a little bit of an unpopular opinion, but I like the movie Sucker Punch. And I think that the way that the action is shot with these sort of big sweeping shots of like when you have the big hordes of people and then these really quick up close shots of the action that's really quickly cut. Yeah, I, I think that. You can see a lot of what he would go on to do in this movie. You know, it's 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 really great, and it has that, like you said, comic book action feel that I think is his oeuvre. Well, it's yeah, it's fascinating. And by the way, I love that Sucker Punch is a hill you're willing to die on. I will not, <laughs> I will not join you on that hill, but I'll watch you from afar, uh, like Ving Rhames in the binoculars looking at his yeah. sniper friend. <laughs> I have thought about this movie a lot over the years. I hadn't watched it in probably. Oh, close to a decade before you know I watched it again for this, but I had such a, like a high fondness for it in my high school and college years. I think I was like middle school when I saw this. I kind of dated myself, but like you know, it really like blew me away with a way to do. It's almost like mainstream horror isn't the right phrase for it, but yeah, it was like it was like all of the stuff that I knew was in horror and zombie movies that I hadn't seen a lot of, and then just kind of condensed down to this very like pulpy. All the characters being very broad strokes. Right, they're they're really video game characters, and it's hard right. not to think about like Dead Rising and what they did and didn't do based off of this movie. Whenever you're playing that game, <laughs> but I, I think about that with Snyder a lot. Like, there's something about how I don't I don't know if I've enjoyed anything else Snyder has made. I'm trying to think. <laughs> I'm going down the list. His more recent stuff, no, not for me. No, me neither. <laughs> if you're one of the release the Snyder cut people like i would you know what i would actually love to talk to you and just pick your brain as someone who's <laughs> trying to make entertainment and like know what speaks to you out of that i would actually yeah. genuinely love to know but yeah no it, i'm fascinated with like why this one works and i i'm biased in that i think a lot of it 
might go towards James Gunn's script. I know there's other writers who touched it. Right. Who didn't get the credit, but like that feels very easy for me to hand wave. Oh, well, it was all just because Gunn had some good jokes and character moments and Snyder, you know, Snyder couldn't touch it. I don't know. You know, I, I think that's very possible. It certainly doesn't hurt that James Gunn kind of is able to craft this this nice foundation for them to work off of because, yes, there were other writers who came in and touched up the script. But to me, this definitely reads as a James Gunn script. I mean, totally. so many of the characters feel like James Gunn characters, uh, especially Ty Burrell's kind of the smarmy, smart-talking guy. I love – it was so fun to show my girlfriend this movie because she didn't see it. And to her to see Ty Burrell from <laughs> Modern Family. And I'm like, yeah, this was my starting point for Ty Burrell. So I never trusted him in Modern yeah, Family. Quite I guy's a piece of shit yeah like he is (laughs) he is such a scumbag to a cartoonish level Mm -hmm. but it's like all in all in the satisfying way that when we're we're spoiling this movie right we're cool spoiling yeah yeah yeah. okay when sarah Polly gets to shoot him in the head at the end after he had said like if i if i ever turn into one of those things take me out it's so (laughs) satisfying like it's, it's a great little payoff it, it really is, and it, it, horror movies go one of two ways, where they either spend a lot of time developing the characters so that you don't want them to die, yeah. or they spend some time creating these characters where you're like, oh, I like to hate this guy, and so when he finally bites it, it's it's you get that satisfaction that way. And this movie really kind of leans into that style, um, where you get these characters who you're like, oh man, they're in it, and like everyone's fighting amongst each other. And yeah, there are some of them that I like, but you know, there's a, a bigger group. Like I mean, like I said, the first one is basically just four people, and so mm-hmm. when you lose one of them, uh, it cuts a lot more out. <laughs> it's of the a movie. quarter. It's a quarter of your characters. <laughs> yeah, and this is what like by comparison, what there's probably twelve survivors total yeah, in the mall somewhere, something yeah. like. That it's definitely a lot more. They had a budget of $28 million for this, which is actually lower than I expected. And Universal, it was supposed to be higher, but they yeah. slashed the budget after uh-huh. noted schlockmaster Uwe Boll's House of the Dead came out. In I saw I, I saw that when I was going, when I was doing Lord's Research, I saw I saw I was like, Uwe Boll almost like he didn't almost tank it, but like imagine that being the movie that's hurting your project, right? Oh my God. I'd be so frustrated. I cracked up thinking about this because I was like, imagine taking the public temperature on something based on how well Uwe Boll's movies do, where they're just like, all right, no more World War II movies because Blood Rain, (laughs) the Third Reich bombed. Oh God, I saw that movie and I regret it um, for free. (laughs) Well, you know, it's it's funny you you mentioned that, or it's good that you mentioned that because I, I, I think about this movie a lot in particular to when it came out, right? Like, mm. um, what, 2004? So, right. and it's March-ish, uh, like six to seven months before Shaun of the Dead came out, which blew me away even more. Yeah. Definitely had that poster in my college dorm. Oh my God, <laughs> love to talk to people about Shaun of the Dead. And then like, what, a year before that in 2003 was 28 Days Later. And in, in my mind, they, at least for me, they were the trifecta of like, culturally making zombies kind of cool and interesting again. Yeah, definitely. I don't know if Dawn of the Dead was particularly successful. For me, it felt like it was a huge movie, but I get the sense that it wasn't as much. Well, it actually did do pretty well. It made $102.3 million total. That's pretty, so, that's pretty good for 2004, yeah, yeah. Definitely. And I mean, it had an opening weekend take of $26.7 million, So it made its budget back in the first three days of release. That's so great. I, I don't see how they could complain about that. And 
on top of it doing well financially, it's also pretty well regarded, especially when you consider that it is a remake slash reimagining, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, and it started a whole other line of reimaginings of oh, Dawn of yes. the Dead again. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. And uh, yeah, so it has a 75% on IMDb and a 77 on Rotten Tomatoes. To me, that is pretty accurate. I think that, like you said, it's not that it's mainstream per se. It's that it feels a little more accessible to people who are maybe not into the older style of zombies. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that this is where culture had shifted to, it really just capitalized on that and and used it to to the fullest effect. Oh, yeah, because I think beforehand, my only reference point for running zombies had been, I think, 28 Days Later, at least as far as I had seen in most films. And then almost became like, then Left for Dead, the game came out. You know what I mean? Before you even started to worry about it. I, I think I saw like Snyder in some quote say that he was worried about the slow zombies being comical or silly yeah. looking. I totally see how particularly Zack Snyder and the way he shoots would be worried about that. But I mean, half the movie they're they're in the, my favorite zombie configuration was just the endless horde. So mm. it doesn't really matter. Right. Right. Do you like regular slow moving zombie movies or are you pretty strictly a 28 days later, Dawn of the dead running zombies kind of guy? I love my all speed zombies. I love all, all sides. Of them. I'd even take a cycling zombie, you wow. know, I don't know if that's <laughs> popped up in one yet. I know land that's of the, the dead probably touched on it. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't know if I have a preference. I get the appeal of the running ones and why, how fuck that makes you. Yeah. I've been kind of wanting any of the zombie craze to go back towards its more, I believe, original roots, which is more voodoo. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's just an interesting, but also you don't want to culturally appropriate it. And that's yeah. a whole it's a fine line mind. to walk. It's yeah. a fine line to walk, but I, I think there's something fascinatingly cool about that entire side of zombie infections that are more um kind of more magical and i yeah i'm sure you did way more interview of any on any of this george so if you've seen any of the same stuff please tell me but before we we talked about this movie i saw james gunn referring to the infection or the the infection in this movie the virus that he didn't want it to be called a virus like the the dvd is the only thing that ever calls the zombie virus in this movie and that he wanted it to be more like a supernatural thing that a bite infects you yeah but it's not like the 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 covid particles go into your bloodstream and transform you <laughs> yeah i i think that that's first of all i think that that's really smart of them to differentiate themselves from 28 days later in that yeah. way because that was so specifically yeah. the mm-hmm. rage virus i think that if they had really leaned into it being an infection in that way it would have been even easier to lump the two together totally but i think that also it, it does kind of pay homage to that origin of where zombies come from and it's not something that a ton of movies touch on. I mean, Zombie 2, the Lucio Fulci one, that I think is the only one that I know of where it's really like a focus on the Caribbean and, you know, it's kind of magical instead of instead of a virus. But right. there is something sort of alluded to that in the Romero ones, especially the one that this is based on, because the line, which does come up again in this movie that Ken Foray has in the original one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, he's on the TV uh, in this one, right? As he's yeah. like a pastor? Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's one of the most iconic lines. It's literally the um, tagline of the original Dawn of the Dead, but it's, uh, when there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk the earth. I loved it. It's amazing. It's the fact that it's this sort of like religion aspect to it where it's not just a disease, I think makes yeah. it... The otherworldliness of it makes it much more scary than something that can just be approached from a science perspective. 
Yeah, and I think that I think that's to its merit in, in this movie and, and kind of the everything else in this era too, what Twenty Eight Days did very well too, is even though they have very different takes on what's kind of the cause of it, they don't spend forever on, you know, how it started. Even if right. Twenty Days Later shows you the monkey jumping out of the cage, like it's really more just this has happened mm-hmm. and like how do how do people react to it? And I think that's what and that's the basis for a lot of zombie films, but that's what like, got me really into that type of storytelling in my unver- unbearable college years where I was just writing zombie films. Like, I-, I loved the idea of society put through this crucible where everything can kill you sort of thing. Yeah, and I think that it's really smart that they do kind of just jump into it, but it also really works for me in a way that it the lead-in kind of feels like Night of the Living Dead could have led into it. Like the, the way that it, it starts that way, it kind of feels like it is just another branch on what was Ooh. already a branching pathway. Like it could be canonically in the same world, you're almost saying. Yeah. Huh, that's you cool. know, obviously there's the, the speed difference, but in terms of the world that they're living in and the situ- like where they're at yeah, yeah. when it starts, it definitely gives me that vibe. So uh, I, I think that that's really cool. There are, are a, a bunch of significant changes from the original one, though, mm. uh, speaking to that reimagining. In addition to the speed of the zombies, first change, and a, in my opinion, a huge mistake, took it out of <laughs> Pennsylvania. <laughs> oh, yeah. did, did they say what state this was in? Yeah, this is in Michigan, I believe. That's Michigan? Okay, okay. Yeah. I'm from the Midwest. I just, I should have, rec- also, I know that oh, they no, shot it know, all in. I think, it's, I think it's Wisconsin. I think that okay. it might be in Milwaukee. I but. mean, it's perfectly, you know, neutral, but mm-hmm. I, even though they shot it in a Canadian, like a closed Canadian mall. Right. Uh, I'm like, I, I couldn't tell. Like, I didn't know. <laughs> yep. Should have been Pennsylvania still. But. Oh, okay. So that's a, per- that's more of a personal bias. <laughs> Doesn't matter. If anything, I would say this, this is them. Uh, I'm going to give them unfairly too much credit. This is them thinking ahead of your, your theory, George, of this has to exist in the same world, so it needs to be in a different city than All Pennsylvania. Right. Much the way that Venom <laughs> takes place in San Francisco, so he doesn't know about Spider-Man. It's a whole thing. Uh, okay. All right. It's a whole thing, George. All right. You're convincing me, Chad. <laughs> <laughs> They also, as we sort of talked about before, added a bunch of characters, mm-hmm. and they streamlined the time to just a month instead of several. So in addition to kind of compressing it, it also makes it that much more scary to be like, wow, this is happening within the span of a month. Yeah. It happens so, so quickly. Which I believe now, based on current events. I, I, yeah. I all Every plot with infections or like <laughs> uprisings or people losing their shit, I'm like, yeah, no. This, this seems right. This could happen. Yeah, before you're like, that would never happen. I, no one what, no one would walk out what, there without a mask. Oh, well, you know, I, I, I got to say, I feel like when, like, two years ago, when Rick and Morty fans were fighting over Szechuan sauce and storming <laughs> McDonald's, I was like, yeah, we're not fucking ready. Like, we're yeah. not going to do well. Mm-hmm. Sorry, not to, not to be a downer on this No, podcast. hey, I think you're totally right. That was the first sign. That, that was, was the first like... sign when the nerds went for the Szechuan sauce. That was like, we are not going to be able to handle an actual outbreak. <laughs> But to its credit, I think I think that accelerated timeline works. Yeah, I never get to a a filter where I'm like, I don't think they'd still have food. You know what I mean? I don't want to be <laughs> cinema sins critiquing this kind of right. stuff anyway, because that's just mm. uh, nitpicking. But like, sure, I, sure. it feels like the right length of time for a we're kind of getting along. Some of us hate each other, and yeah. now we got to get the hell out of here. Like, I, it's it's enough. Long, yeah. 
it also I think that having it take place so quickly also kind of makes the fact that more survivors show up partway through mm-hmm. more realistic and more likely to be something that actually would have happened. Um, because if you're like if the if this if the second group had shown up like three months in, you'd have been like, What the hell were you doing this whole time? Oh god. So. They've been driving around the parking lot this whole time. Like, <laughs> well, we went to Lowe's first and then we tried Walmart and then we thought we tried them all, like that kind yeah, of exactly. I, I I love that sequence by the way of the new characters coming in is fascinating because I don't see it used a lot in other mm-hmm. types of films. You wouldn't have that much of i I'm trying to think of like a fantasy example where halfway through the fellowship got six new characters like, <laughs> uh, to use a very different metaphor. But I, I love that scene of the, the new group showing up in the big truck and just slamming into the side of the it's mall. So good. It's so <laughs> it's good. So the good. effects are so like pretty solid for this whole thing, but yeah, it's like even that little thing I was enjoying rewatching and going like this is adding new characters, but it's also giving discount Burt Reynolds, the security guard, like <laughs> a tiny like he's the shittiest guy in the beginning and he's still kind of shitty. But at least he's like he's got a little bit other... of an arc. Yeah, he's got a they all have like little arcs like the yeah, every character has like a tiny bit of an arc that I just at enough. least appreciate just enough. just enough to maybe to... not lingerie girl. I don't know if yeah. lingerie chainsaw girl. I, I That's she, true. She doesn't pass the test, unfortunately. She would have, She needed a little bit more. Yeah. Like a fear of chainsaws. If she had been like, oh, God, I'm so scared of heavy weapons. That's not what her voice is at all. I'm so scared of heavy, heavy machinery. Peter. I'm so worried she's going to kill me. Peter. That's what I'm doing. And then the chainsaw had gotten her. I'd be like, oh, yeah, she predicted her, her own death. But yeah, so so they can they can all be winners, but but for, for a lot of them, you get you get a little bit, yes. and uh, and it's it's enough. And then the last change is that they just kind of upped the general gore factor as well. Mm-hmm, Tom mm-hmm. Sabini is incredible, one of the probably my favorite special effects guy, and he does an incredible job on the original. But I mean, goodness gracious, the friggin' guts and gore that's in this one is just on another level it's, it's it's so visceral it's so visceral and in a weird way like it it somehow still hold it's so visceral totally with you and i you know and like i had tiny squeamish alerts in my mind as sniff was going off but like it almost feels reserved now by <laughs> like you know eli roth would be like not bad an eye at this one kind of thing. right but i i loved the effects were so good i i was trying to figure out like why the zombies running on mass and running at them look so good and uh I saw a cool tidbit that I don't think this is common practice, but that the stunt doubles, you know, in the zombie makeup as they were getting shot, they had a remote control in their own hands mm-hmm. for when the squibs would go off. So like instead of having the squibs go off and then reacting to it a half second later, they are aware of when they go. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah, that's, a, that's a cool little trick. I don't know. If that's awesome. Common. Yeah. I think it's great. It's so funny to me that because the crew didn't know that I saw that they literally just wore rain ponchos because of how much blood was flying <laughs> through the air. I, I believe that. I believe that. So, so I, I thought that was fun. And there was a lot of detail to it, even in those effects. Different colors of blood were used for the zombies that were in different stages mm-hmm. of decomposition. Cool. Red for the recently dead, a browner version for the ones that had been dead for a couple of weeks, and then this like oily black sludge for the ones that had been dead for a while. Yeah, yeah. It's just good. It's really good. It's really good stuff. The effects are really solid in this the whole way through, and and it's it's great. To talk about that moment, I was thinking that with um I forget the actor's name Max Headroom who 
has a great small character in this, mm. blanking on his name. He comes in as part of the secondary survivors, right? Yeah. Gets bit, has to say goodbye to his daughter as he turns. And, like, he is also because he's Max Headroom and he looks like a cool skeleton man. <laughs> but, like, he, they, the makeup may naturally know him kind of like every scene. He progressed yeah. very, like, believably from a healthy man to a emaciated guy barely hanging on. I thought it was really well done. Yeah, I totally agree. The makeup... It's not like only a few people got it. By the time the production wrapped, 3,000 zombie makeup effects had been created. <laughs> that, that seems like a lot. That sounds it's like a lot of a things. a lot. It's a lot of zombies. Uh, although the word zombie is never used in the film, right. which is, you know, a, a classic trope. It's interesting. I like that they don't talk about it in older stuff, but I think that moving forward, I'm like ready for people to have seen zombie things in yeah. my zombie media. Oh, yeah. I was taken aback by the the scene kind of, you know, midway through where they're still diagnosing what gets you. Yeah. And Sarah Pauly has to see... I appreciate it. She has to see multiple cases of a bite turning someone before she deduces that it's the bite, not, you yeah. know, just an open wound or dying or anything. And I'm like, oh, yeah, because... The zombie survival guide isn't a book yet. Like, you know, <laughs> like things that are common knowledge now. Mm -hmm. Even then, I, I like, oh, yeah, that's right. Audiences had to kind of like know the rules. And yeah. I think nowadays I'm fine usually of the characters just going like, zombies, like in all the video games we play? Right. Okay. Like <laughs> they just move, they move on. There's enough other options for ways they could have consumed that media that were like, all right. We're ready. <laughs> in, in what believable universe does your movie take place where The Walking Dead hasn't been on the air for 15 years? Like Seriously. That's, you have that's to now more address. fictional. It's more fictional that people wouldn't know what a zombie is. Right, yeah. Uh. But, you know, like, like we said, at this point, 28 Days Later had kind of changed the game, and Zack Snyder picked up the ball and ran with it. Just like a zombie. <laughs> Just like the jockey is. Oh, man. Yeah, I, I loved watching what he was doing in terms of like there's some there's some dope ass shots in this movie mm -hmm. and again i know that it's not just always the director a good dp can save a movie like there's so many people at work but just i mean the the the, the shots like the slow shot of the group on the roof and then multi bam 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 like cut to wider and wider and wider where you're getting right. uh, pull out views to see how big the horde has gotten yeah it like shutters into place it's it's really great it's really great like uh, yeah I, there's so many little parts of this like we talk about the best relationship in this entire movie is ving rames and andy the gun store guy across I the street i love it he, the uh, dude has like no lines and he's my favorite character <laughs> i i know it's it's <laughs> Just to describe, in case you're watching this and haven't seen it, like, just this relationship between silent and stoic Ving Rhames, who's so fucking sick in this movie. He's great. Yeah. Oh, my God. I love him. Also, side note, I don't know if you saw this trivia, George, but it was that Ving Rhames, when he's getting stitched up in the movie, his character has, like, a small wound, and it's kind of a fake out if he got bit or not. Apparently, the on-set uh, nurse or whatever actually, like, like sewed into <laughs> his arm the prosthetic, so she's, like... Get, getting into real Ving Rhames, sewing a fake Ving Rhames arm onto him, and he didn't say anything <laughs> until they were done with the shot. What? So badass. 
Oh my god. Not not that not that people should be allowed to tell me stand on camera with finger <laughs> aims. But like that ring rames relationship with Andy, the guy across the way. Somehow I love a guy who owns a gun store. It's incredible. It's, I never thought incredible. that they would come. They're they're back and forth via like whiteboards and you know, then Ving Rames tells Andy across the way on a whiteboard with a sign, you know, the uh, fort whatever it's called is uh, is gone no survivors and andy writes on the whiteboard back so what's the bad news <laughs> that's like a solid line andy good job like and it's and it's great like ving just smirks for half a second and then we go back into misery but it's like yeah little levity moments. it's like the first time that ving rames has kind of cracked a little bit yeah. in terms of you know he's been worried this whole time because his brother is at that fort he's also just kind of a stoic guy in general mm-hmm. it's and also he's been kind of forced into this leadership position that he definitely didn't want so having someone across the way who is able to kind of break through to this it's it's just really good but it's it's really good I, actually, get, I wanted him to get those sandwiches you know oh i wanted him goodness. to get that food and join the team on their death bus i i did too man you and me both but uh, before we get too far into the movie, let's start breaking down the plot a little bit. Oh, and please. I-, I will say that I, according to my notes, it is in fact Milwaukee. So just in case people w- wanted a definitive answer, we open up on Milwaukee County Hospital. We see Anna, who's Sarah Polly's character. And I really, really like this opening scene because mm-hmm. there's some great groundwork happening in terms of setting up the zombies even before this opening that people are a little bit more familiar the, the part before that where she's finishing her shift yeah and you know the guy admitted for a bite at 6 a.m got a head x-ray because he was no longer communicative and then he oh, got moved yeah. to the icu and it's also getting moved from doctor to doctor which that was a really cool detail of like yeah. that's why no one's kind of connecting the dots only she's like why would he be there now? Uh, yeah. I don't know. I, and, he, I, I, and she's on her way out the door. And so yeah. she's like, whatever, I don't care. It's been a long shift. And this laying this groundwork, I think, is vital mm-hmm. in terms of pre- creating a world that's believable because it does so much to be like, oh, like, I wonder what's going on. And, you know, there's this news bulletin that she turns off on her way home because she turns to music. And it's it was obviously going to be about the outbreak. Yeah. It's almost the joke from Shaun of the Dead where the TV is telling them what's going on. (laughs) It's very close to that. And and it's funny the way that it works perfectly as a joke there. It also, I think it does work seriously here. It's funny how it works. Oh yeah. Dude, dude, my, uh, that scene before, yeah, before the, the bigger, longer one of when she comes home and just has some like dialogue with her husband about a new boyfriend that's never going to come into play, you know, or, uh, (laughs) you know, her coworkers, new boyfriend, there's that, they go to shower to have sex. Feels Hell like yeah. a very easy skin skin scene, but it's <laughs> it's that that's when they miss the national broadcast, right? Um, and implied go to bed and miss it. That is such a legit fear I have. Not that I'll <laughs> have shower sex and miss out about a pandemic, but like that I just don't see the news article that tells me the thing I need to know while everyone else is running, you know? Yeah. Getting that delayed start, that could mean the difference. Oh, God, uh, it's terrifying. Yeah, Yeah. it it really is. And they do a really good job of kind of showing you this and creating that fear in you. You know, it's it's also interesting while she's on her way home, like you said, she goes to meet her husband, Lewis, and it's this perfect white picket area and every house looks exactly the same. Mm-hmm. And there's a little kid on a bike or no rollerblades. <laughs> and like, yeah. it's it's just very sort of 
uh, idealistic in terms of what people are supposed to aspire to. And it, it, the way that they set this up to be shattered in the very next morning, God, it, it, it's such a perfect way of like pulling out the rug on it. Yeah, it's almost laying the groundwork for the entire movie to take place in that neighborhood, and it doesn't. Yeah, it really does. So so like I said, the next morning, this is when things start to actually pop off. And the girl that we saw walks into their house. First of all, suburb people don't lock their friggin' oh, doors. Oh, God. Yeah, what is this, Florida? Oh, my God. <laughs> Oh, so the, that that was the that was the skate girl. I could not tell if it was her or they had a daughter we didn't know about. I didn't. I couldn't yeah. tell if it was well, her. Well, because her face is all jacked up. Already. Yeah, her face is jacked up, and she's not wearing the rollerblades. <laughs> I would. I, that, that's too silly. I would love if she had rollerbladed in. Her defining characteristic was was rollerblades. So. <laughs> But uh, but yeah, she comes in and and they're both like oh what like what's the matter and she this kid just chomps on Lewis immediately. It's so funny because it, like it's such a surprise. It's not funny yeah. like haha. It's funny like oh my god. Uh, yeah, if anything, you thought maybe this was the the, the main male character. No, he out. He no, he, he sure is. Uh, and you'd think that as a nurse, Anna would know not to just like yank on the kid because this like she pulls the kid off of Lewis and out with it comes just a chunk of his neck. That's probably one of the. That's probably honestly one of the best effects of the entire movie is it's that this visceral pull. Yeah. And it's so early. It's really like, this is what you're in for. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it does, it's a great tone setter. And he immediately reanimates as a zombie and attacks Anna as she's trying to call 911. But you get that all circuits busy thing, which immediately amplifies the scope of the movie in a huge way. Because oh, before yeah. she's out there and seeing what's happening, you're immediately like, oh, no. Everyone is having problems. Right yeah. Now. Oh, yeah. It's, well, it, it was just hit by that that shot, the burst out the bathroom window. Like it's all basic, like suspense stuff. But then it's mm-hmm. this is working in this movie, and it doesn't work in so many other ones, just based on I guess natural ways of shooting suspense and building yeah. tension. It's working really well. Yeah, and and yeah, she she does climb out this bathroom window to get out of there, and you get this great shot where she's kind of standing in the middle of it, and it kind of pans around, showing her neighborhood literally burning, mm-hmm. and. You know, her neighbor comes out and like goes to shoot her, and then gets mown down by an out of control ambulance. Oh, I love that! Yeah, it's so good. I, I had not, we had not yet gotten used to the if a character is staring straight at the camera, a car can come out of nowhere and hit them. It was shocking. It was and, shocking at the time, and it really creates this kind of chaotic feel that does a really great job of kind of putting you in that fight or flight kind of attitude. Um, it, yeah. it really, I think, put, does a good job of putting you in their shoes. Anna flees in the car. She does get in, and she's driving down the highway, and you get a nice little reference to Night of the Living Dead here, because Mm. a truck uh, is seen crashing into a gas station, and Ben, who's in Night of the Living Dead, mentions that he was listening to a radio, and uh, and that a truck crashed into the gas pumps, and so, cool little, uh, little reference there, I think, goes to show that James Gunn and whoever worked on these scripts really was a fan, and that this is not something that they were like... All right, what are the kids into these days? They were like, we want to make a Dawn of the Dead remake. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's, like, so many Easter eggs in this movie. Mostly I didn't pick up when I was watching until it up later, but, like, the mall being the name of one of the characters from the original. And, mm-hmm. like, it doesn't feel eye-rolly Easter eggs in any no, way. Just feel like nice not. little touches. But I, I want to say my fav- one of my favorite shots of this whole thing is in that right before she gets on the highway, the, the long kind of, like, 
shot of her in her car driving through the neighborhood on fire and the the moment when the husband who's been chasing her on foot just suddenly notices another person out on their yard huh. and immediately veers left and you just see him start to tackle her as the car pulls away is yeah. so funny it is so goddamn funny every time it's it really is it's just this whole opening is is really great and anna crashes in uh, in her flight and she passes out and this is when we finally get the opening credits and people who listen to the show they, if they know one thing about me it's that i love a good opening credit sequence oh damn man especially yeah. if it's a delayed like this <laughs> oh god yeah it's, it will, what a great like the music choices in this again oh, yeah. Just where James Gunn goes, good old rock and roll and country references. I guess go. <laughs> Not giving him any credit for it, but the the Johnny Cash for the man comes around is so good for this opening theme. Yeah, and it's playing over this montage of like news footage and there's zombie stuff, like like blood and cells dividing and stuff. It, it's just it's a very cool opening credit sequence. And when Anna finally wakes up again. She joins police sergeant Kenneth Hall, who is played by Ving Rhames, mm-hmm. and also electronic salesman Michael, played by Jake Weber, <laughs> and petty criminal Andre. These are their official descriptions, played by Mackay Pfeiffer, and his pregnant wife Luda, who's played by Ina Karabkina. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm excited to talk about their plot line. That's an interesting one. Oh, man. And in the original, you kind of have these two separate groups that come together together. And, you know, they're they're split because one is the two police officers and one is um, the two news people. And with this, you kind of create an interesting dynamic where it's not as clearly defined into who's in what camps. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. you have these people who are kind of just looking out for themselves in different ways that I I think really creates uh, interesting tension between the group. There's not a... Even though the movie still has it framed under uh, Sarah Pauly, and I, believe, I forget the the Best Buy uh, TV TV salesman who we reveals uh, Jake Weber, yes, Jake <laughs> Weber playing the most calm, collected zombie survivor ever to exist. <laughs> he sure is. Like you know, they're kind of the leads, but they they really blend, and so that there's about like five or six kind of characters all on the same level of importance and interchanging and. They, they feels like an ensemble, and there's no real lead character. If anything, it's Sarah Pauly, but barely. Definitely, yeah. And fun fact about Ving Rhames, he was so psyched when they heard they were doing this remake that he tracked down the producers to actively pursue a role in the film, saying that he wanted to be in the movie because the black guy lives. It's perfect. So, <laughs> it's, it's perfect. perfect. He's Well, you know, and I, I think I realize now, we should talk about the plot. There's an upcoming scene where I guess it's them shining or lampshading the black guy always dying in the horror movie with yeah. the, the early fountain scene. Right. I mean, they they break into the mall, and again, you start to really notice some of this Snyder style here because everything is super contrasty. Yeah. It's got these blinding lights and these vivid reds. It's just, it's interesting to me when, it obviously gets developed more, but when a when someone has a style so embedded into the into their work from such an early stage, I just think that that's really interesting, and it's very clear that Snyder did have, uh, you know, love it or hate it, he has his style, and uh, it's on display here. So, oh yeah, it, it, uh, Snyder and Michael Bay work hand in hand on these really know how to fucking shoot a car commercial. They are so good at a car. <laughs> like, they will shoot the fuck out of it, and it'll be the best-looking thing you've ever seen, which I, I, I loved. I saw the, the tidbit about it. Like, the opening TV scene features a Honda commercial that Snyder directed. Hell yeah. Uh, well, I, I would put that in there, too. I would, too. I, would. I know. It makes perfect sense. I would be very... I would totally show it. It's probably easy to get the rights to. Uh, but, like, that kind... Like, they are so good with an image 
Just don't, just don't want them near the script. Just don't, <laughs> don't want to write the words. <laughs> hey, I agree. You get someone like uh, like James Gunn to write the script instead, and that's yeah. how you get something good. The, the so these survivors they break into this mall and they they are attacked, and you get this this fountain scene where. Like you say, it looks like it's curtains for old Ken Hall. Yeah. And, you know, like you said, this does sort of play with that trope of, it's an unfortunate trope, but typically black people and people of color don't make it very far into a horror movie. Usually they're the first to go, in fact. And this sort of acknowledges that, and they put him in this situation where it looks like Ving Rhames is going to die. And then they pull that, they say, that's not what this, that's not this movie, and... It, it, he gets saved by Anna, and it's, yeah. it's it's a great way of letting you know that you can't just expect the same old stuff. Yeah, totally. And and it's also a uh, there's a nice level to they play the the character deaths sporadically out through it enough that you're never feeling constantly ever safe, right? Mm-hmm. Even in even in the the fun montage, don't feel completely safe, and that like you kind of could buy that at any point any of these characters could get it to a to a believable degree. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, it, it does do a really good job of setting that up as well. And they head to the second floor because they're like, all right, first floor is no good. And three guards of the mall, CJ, Bart, and Terry, reluctantly agreed to let them stay in the mall, but makes them surrender their weapons. They get like put into a store and locked in. They're real douchebags. They're real douchebags. They sure are. And it's kind of that... I got mine mentality that yeah. like is my greatest fear that people would have in a situation. Like Dude, this. totally, man. I I worry less about the zombies or the robot hordes as much as the 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 dude with a gun who thinks he's a hero, like that yeah. kind of. Or like I I I control Barter Town now. Like I don't. Oh my god. That that personality is terrifying. And then to have that guy running things in this mall is as great first act stakes. Yeah, definitely, and we they do such a good job of kind of showing us who he is, not even necessarily just through his own actions, but we get a Tom Savini cameo. He plays a sheriff on TV, and, and oh, he's... Oh, that's right. You know, when he's talking about, like, you know, I know these guys, and unfortunately, you just have to put them down, and you just see CJ there, like, being like, yeah, this guy gets it, and, like... That's terrifying that he's, like, preparing himself to kill his friends. The the mall security guards are, are fascinating, like, mini antagonists in the movie. Like, mm-hmm. like they are themselves are a cause of chaos in it. And it's, oh, yeah. Th- my favorite detail I, I had not picked up until recently was that, like, they still... Uh, what's the secondary dude's name? There's the good. There's the good secondary dude, and the the Bart the, is the bad guy. Bart's the bad one. The one that's just like, oh yeah, the girl was having <laughs> sex with the girl from Dairy Queen. Now she's dead. Like <laughs> like Bart is a stooge to a perfect degree, where he is still listening to his boss, even though that shouldn't be a thing anymore. You know, right. like it's he's holding to this weird level of like taking orders and yeah. Some people need a hierarchy, unfortunately. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> it true. seems it's... like Bart is one of them. <laughs> so... Bart's very much for it. Oh, these guys are terrifying to me. We also, in these little, uh, scenes of them watching TV, we get another cameo from the original movie, uh, where Scott Reiniger, he was Roger in Dawn of the Dead, the original. And so he's the, uh, military officer at the local fort in this one. And, Oh shit. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. You just got some fun little cameo in there and the pregnant couple have gone to the bathroom where it's revealed that 
in the tussle before, one of the zombies scratched Luda, not a full bite, which I think yeah. is interesting. Mm-hmm. And Anna is stitching up this gash that Kenneth got fending off the zombies. This is the scene that you were talking about, the the sewing, the prosthetic. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, and for like or at least like half of the movie, Ving is walking around with a big bloody bandage on his arm. So you're like, when are we going to talk about it? Like, when are we going to address it? <laughs> Yeah, and it really feels like we're waiting for it any moment. And it's so funny that when I was reading about it, um, Snyder was like, yeah, I just thought it was really good effects. (laughs) (laughs) He probably was. Yeah, he probably was. I bet Ving's pain. I bet Ving winced like the tiniest bit. You know what I mean? I bet bet he's tough, but he still reacted to it. And and Zach was like, oh, what a good shot. He's nailing it. Oh, he's so good. He's so good. I'm so excited to get to shoot Max Headroom later. Oh, my God, this is the best project. <laughs> the little girl from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood came up to Ving after and was like, that was the best actor I've ever seen. <laughs> Ving Rhames is so... Like, what's happened? Why isn't Ving Rhames in more stuff again? What's going on with Ving yeah, Rhames? That's yeah. a good question. Ving Rhames, where you at, man? Where you at? Oh, he's so good in this. He, he is. I mean, he's so good in everything. But, yeah, it definitely it shows in this. And they split up into these groups. So you have... They're securing them all. We see CJ, who is the he, he's the main security guy. And when one of the other security guys who like he went downstairs and had already fallen victim to the zombies. Right. Uh, he shoots this guy. No problem. And he gives me this kind of like wanted to be a cop, but couldn't even clear that bar kind yep. of vibe. <laughs> yeah. Oh, totally. Totally. Scuzz- like. There is a, despite it being taking place in what you said, Wisconsin, uh, and, and shot in Canada, these dudes had conservative flag, like, like Confederate flags on their cars. (laughs) Like, yeah, for sure. You totally got some weird, uh, hee haw vibes from these. Yeah. He's just like, I just like the Dukes of Hazzard. Yeah. Oh yeah. The general (laughs) Lee's is a sick car, man. Uh, yeah, it, it's a but it's a totally believable piece of shit. Like it's who I would think might be corrupt. Uh, if they were a security guard, <laughs> like who would, yeah. that would, that's what it would become. They and they do a really good job, I think, of like he is a, a realistic asshole in that he, it it it's not quite a caricature. Like he feels like yeah. a little racist, but he's never out and out. And and he like in the one scene where he's like like he like takes off his hat and you see that he's balding a little bit and like <laughs> it's just so this character is so fascinating to me because the, it it feels so real <laughs> yeah no i mean they're again and i think they're they're all little like snapshots of caricatures right like yeah. they all they're all almost like if they were all by themselves they each have a two minute vignette short story about being in the mall in the apocalypse they'd all yep. do different stuff and and now just because they're all stuck here it's it's like a reality show almost in the way that they handle it yeah it really is and i think that it, it totally works and they basically decide that they need to paint a sign on the roof to like call people to them. And this mm-hmm. is where we finally see Andy, who is stranded, like we said, in the gun store across from the zombie and across from the mall. Uh, and there's a zombie infested parking lot between them. And they also see a helicopter fly by, which oh. just straight up ignores them. I, I, I appreciate that the, the helicopter was close enough to confirm. You know, it's yeah. like. <laughs> Uh, again, it's weird how much these all these movies are doing similar beats at the same time of like it's like the twenty eight days later plane flying overhead, but 
evoking completely different feelings. Yeah, yeah, it really is. They, it's it's fascinating how they really are kind of like mirror images. Mm-hmm. And this is when we get the Ken Foray uh, cameo as well, where he is this TV evangelist, and he gets his classic line, and when there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk the earth. And everyone is just feeling pretty glum. <laughs> things, <laughs> things are not ideal. And it's interesting because... So much of what makes the original great to me is the, like, them living in the mall. I, the minute that the biker gang shows up in the original, I'm like, damn, it's over. (laughs) Like, the mall part's over. (laughs) And to me, in this one, the fact that the mall feels so unsafe and that it really feels so much more temporary than it does in the original. I think that it's so fascinating the way that they're able to shift it and kind of control the way that you feel about these things. And even this safety gets totally, totally shifted again. It gets destroyed when the next day, this delivery truck (laughs) just (laughs) full of survivors, you know, they're pursued by zombies. They drive in through the lot and they just slam into the wall they, they parked the box truck how I once, the one time I had to drive a box truck for work, how I parked it. It's just, <laughs> just praying. We're just reversing and we're praying. Hey, you know what? It friggin' works. And, it and works. when they're talking about what they're going to do, the tensions flare. And finally, the group manages to get the drop on the security guards. And they take their weapons and put them in the holding cell while this new group Yeah, fuck in. the cops, man. Yeah, get the guns. <laughs> It's it's very satisfying while they get like because they're in the they're on the roof and CJ is like okay if you take another step towards helping them I'm gonna kill you and like again this idea of him being like not only am I not gonna help people I'm actively preventing you from helping people the, the, yeah and they've done the work at this point in the movie to establish that a CJ led society in this mall is going to end really badly like yeah you've seen something enough. needs to change yeah. And that's exactly what they do. They find they take this opportunity. They they take their weapons. Terry, the third security guard, does c- come over to their side. Oh, uh, handsome he, Terry, sweet yes, Terry, sweet Terry, our young lad. He doesn't want to kill anyone, and so he comes over. And uh, good for you, Terry. <laughs> He's like, I I just wanted to keep the GameStop safe. I didn't want to. Yeah. I didn't want to start imprisoning nurses. <laughs> also, Terry. GameStop will be fine without you. <laughs> GameStop, we'll all be fine without GameStop, actually. Let's be honest. <laughs> and so, yeah, so this new group shows up, and it includes Norma, Steve, Tucker, Monica, Glenn, Frank, and his daughter, Nicole. Kenneth, so that's that's Ving Rhames, he's determined that he said he's going to take this truck, and he's going to yeah. find his brother at the fort. He loves his brother, man. Yeah, he sure does. He's been saying that he's going there the whole time, that he's not interested in being a leader of this group because he just wants to go find his brother. And in what was genuinely kind of a like a gasp moment for me, the new group was like, we just came from there. It was a bloodbath. No one's alive. I was like, oh my god. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Ty Burrell gets to do like, well, they're either dead or dead-ish. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. Oof. <laughs> One of the women in the group is like, on death's door already. You can basically see every vein bulging. Yeah, is she, like, she is... I Honestly, she's just a Resident Evil zombie already. Like, yeah. she is... I, I could not tell how much of her was uh, makeup versus, like, prosthetics. Yeah. 
like she is a bloated corpse that is on Death's door for sure. It's gross, and she's wheeled inside only to die and reanimate. Like literally, immediately, she freaking croaks, and it's this really great tension building moment because you know Anna's a nurse, and so she gets close and she checks her oh, pulse. And oh, like... yeah, she leans in for the breath too. It's like, <laughs> oh, oh, there's such great suspense fakeouts. Oh. oh yeah, and then she finally lunges after Anna, and then I mean, say what you will about Anna, but. This woman is capable as hell. Mm -hmm. She saves Kenneth's butt in the fountain. She helps get the jump on these security guards. And here, this zombie gets a fire poker in the eye for her trouble for reanimating. So, uh, she oh she is is great. I I walked away from this movie always feeling like Sarah Pauli, like she should be in more things. Mm -hmm. And then don't know why she wasn't become. I don't know why she became like the next horror madame or something. I don't right. know. Like uh, I don't know, but yeah, she she's really great in this, and it does feel like she should have gone on to have some really awesome action roles. And uh, who knows? Maybe there's still time. So maybe there's more time. Uh, yeah. Sorry, that was a, uh, just to add on. To, to, I was thinking about that too uh, when I rewatched it. All of the humans fighting, except for maybe the third act is still, like, in a realm of realism. Like, you mm -hmm. know, Ving Rhames seems to know how to handle a shotgun. I believe that. Yeah. The security card guys have some, like, you know, desert eagles or whatever they, they <laughs> got, and, and they seem to be okay with it. But, like, no one is suddenly just going full Rambo ever yeah. in the movie. Like, all of... Polly has, what, you know, probably, like, five kills in the movie, and all of them feel like a thing a nurse could believably pull off. Yeah, it's like she's, like, very close when she gets the first shot, and so it's like, okay, just point and shoot. And then for this one, it's like a, a, a melee weapon instead yeah. of a gun. So, uh, yeah, you know, it, it does all feel realistic in terms of capability, and it's really good, and it's, it's a fun scene. But this is where things kind of take a turn, because after she's killed, the group determines that the disease is passed on by bites. This is kind of where they mm -hmm. put two and two together, and... Luda, who's the pregnant woman, keeps her scratch a secret from the group, although Andre already knows, and Andre is her husband. And so Frank, one of the new people who came in, uh, has already been bitten. And yeah. they decide that they're going to test this, although Michael wants to kill him. This this guy who has been sort of the reluctant number two, where it's like you could see him sort of wanting to take control but also being like it's not my place and he is like we have to kill this guy right away and anna guilt trips him <laughs> into yeah. agreeing to just isolate him instead i like that it was michael the best buy <laughs> by the way i'm totally fine i'm just a best buy retail employee being like just fucking kill him. you know what i mean like he's just he's he's jaded to the world enough Oh yeah, but I hey, like you work retail long enough. I mean, yeah, yeah, dude, <laughs> I, I, you lose your you lose your connection to humanity. Uh, like I, I thought that was good to find that he had a flaw too, right? He's the most yeah. he's the most rational guy out of the entire group. He is right in that he's going to turn, but it's Sarah Pauly going like, "You're coming on a bit strong. Like yeah. maybe you let him just wait it out, see if he turns, so we don't just shoot a living man in front of his daughter." Like. I, I like that there's they all have their own levels of flaws. Definitely, and I think it also kind of shows how this situation is wearing on them, where it, the fact that this guy is deadened to this point where he's like, well, kill this old man. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's intense, and the scene when Frank does turn, we kind of talked about how the effects work, but he does, I think, a really admirable job in this performance yeah. as well, where it's, I think, very sad watching him kind of wither away here and we hear about how his daughter has 
already lost two brothers and her mom. Not only is this a very effective scene in the moment, but I think it's very effective in setting up a lot of what happens down the road Mm -hmm. in terms of other characters' relationships. And so I I think that this is a pretty pivotal moment. Which then goes into fun montage, I think. I think (laughs) the next scene is fun montage. Yeah, well, yeah, it it really is. It's so Anna, or yeah, when he reanimates, Ken does shoot him, and Kenneth and Andy, who had already gotten off on the right foot thanks to that joke that you mentioned before, they start this friendship playing chess. It's a first of all, I think it's a a great great scene, even just the the parts between them. Totally. But, it, it does go into this great montage where you get a nice jazzy version of Down with the Sickness. Yeah, Richard Cheese, I think, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you get to see a horde out. The horde outside has swelled tremendously, helping to kind of put a perspective on how things are going outside the mall, which is obviously very important. And romance starts to blossom between uh, survivors. You get Anna and Michael pairing <laughs> up. <laughs> I think blo- romance is a really, really great way to play it. Um, being a little generous here, yeah, but being a little generous, yeah. You know, you get Anna and Michael pairing off. Uh, Nicole and Terry. So Nicole is uh, Frank's daughter. Terry is the security guard. Yeah, they hook up as well. Uh, and while maybe this is the least romance of the romances, uh, <laughs> Steve and Monica are <laughs> hooking up as well. That's Ty Burrell and lingerie lady because she really doesn't do much else besides have sex on camera with Ty Burrell. So yeah, yeah, that she's <laughs> probably the weakest character in terms of just that. Yeah, but at least that montage. It was enough of a thing of, like, it doesn't overstay its welcome, but I keep going, like, well, I could have watched a whole movie of just the fun of living in a mall when no one else is there. You know what I mean? The, yeah. Like, the, the pandemic uh, indoor stay-at-home vibes that this movie has is gets really strong during this montage. Yeah, it gives you a nice little taste of the original, yeah. or, like, why the original was special. And to me, I think that it's important that they included it a little bit, but I also am really glad that they didn't stay on that too long because if if they started kind of honing in on that then you start having the inevitable comparisons to the original a little more and the way that they have just kind of this little homage to it it really helps me kind of separate them into being like these are two different movies and i like them both and i think that it's really smart that they utilize this but the fact that it is such a great scene is also important because if they had kind of botched this little this little montage here I think that it could have been very painful and the fact that it is kind of dead center of the movie it's a really pivotal moment like I said if it wasn't if this montage wasn't in the movie I think my initial thought after seeing it would be like why wasn't it even in a mall like (laughs) what what is the fun what is the fun of the hook right yeah which I know is which is they don't do uh, looking into like well humans love commercialism so they come to the mall there's the one line where ving rames is like maybe they come here because of memory or maybe they want us yeah but it still hits the left to their own devices i guess this is what humanity does like here's what in, in a playground of consumerism some people go to the radio shack and film sex tapes like or whatever <laughs> Yeah, exactly. They're truly kind of degrading into their excesses uh, mm-hmm. in, a, in an interesting way. But uh, the power goes out, and 
it's a shock when when they kind of pull this out from you because you are in this happy moment. You get to see everyone having fun. There's the Richard Cheese version of Down with the Sickness, which I mm-hmm. do genuinely enjoy. <laughs> it's it's a pretty solid one. Yeah, yeah, it's it's catchy. And the power goes out, and we get our fi- our first glimpse of Luda in a while. And oh my god, <laughs> uh, to put it mildly, she's seen better days. <laughs> I, I, this this plot. I would love to know how you feel about the the Mackay Pfeiffer baby plot. Yeah, well, boy, I don't even know how I feel about it. It's like, there's... So, uh, she's strapped to the bed and, like, rotting there, and she's extremely pregnant and moaning, and the whole time, Akkad Pfeiffer has been like, this is my redemption. I was a crook, but I, I am moving forward in order to bring this child into the world. Everything I'm doing is for this kid. Mm-hmm. This is how I am going to redeem myself and my legacy. I think every one of his lines is about his baby or his family on some level. Yeah, he's, he's, he's really the, hard. He's the Vin Diesel of this movie, where it's really <laughs> about family. <laughs> it's about the zombie baby. You got all the family. I think that that's a really interesting kind of aspect of like in this in this moment having this like kind of selfish desire yeah but really still kind of viewing it as like his duty he's like he's like this is what i'm here to do like from god and he like really gets so wrapped up in this that it like drives him insane yeah and and throughout the whole because it's throughout the whole movie if it had just kind of been like a sudden tone shift mm-hmm. it helped me a lot that the least it was kind of like well, we're not telling anyone she got scratched because we don't know that bites are, you know, fatal yet. Yeah. And, like, I'm just trying to keep her private because I'm, pr- I'm protective. And, like, it feels like a thing that just got out of hand. Like, as opposed to he's a – I mean, he's obviously kind of lost his mind. Mm-hmm. But you can see the descent, right? You can see the slow, like, he's kind of bargaining, like, okay, well, now we're just going to – we're going to keep you tied down so you don't hurt yourself. At this point, it's like, what are you even doing anymore? The survivor yeah. that wanted to hold on to a, the loved one. Yeah, and, and I think that maybe, uh, as you've referenced it as the zombie baby stuff. Yeah, I, the zombie baby. It doesn't quite stick the landing, perhaps. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when I used to recommend this film, when High School Chad would tell people to check out Dawn of the Dead remake, my asterisk was always... There's a zombie baby plot that's pretty stupid. And <laughs> and I think I stand by it. But in this recent rewatching, maybe just because I'm more familiar with like James Gunn's work now and and knowing he used to suffer trauma, I'm like, well, I've never seen a movie with a zombie baby before. I know it, I, it's interesting. Yeah, it really is. And it does this like funny little roar and like Oh, I know. I couldn't believe they showed the baby. I was I I kept thinking they would like Hold back. No. Or you just... No. <laughs> little, little baby with, like, zombie eyes. Just it's screaming. funny. It, it, it kind of is funny, but I think there is a piece of me that feels like it was on purpose. That it is kind of that trauma influence where it's like, we're just going to push the envelope as far as we can. And maybe it comes across as just edgy and try hard, and maybe it comes across as funny, but we're going to try. Oh, yeah. And I think, I think it was read... I think I read that like the original idea was that the baby was going to eat the mother. Yeah. I don't know how graphic that was going to get, but I see I see that version. Right. I wish, like, and I, and I, I wish yeah, man. Yeah. I wish we got face hugger baby. Oh my god! I just oh, it would um, be it would be nightmare fuel for sure. And I'm yeah. I, I get why they didn't do it. Yeah. They yeah they decided that would have been a step too far. But I think that 
it doesn't necessarily work as a scare moment, but it does work as a scene where I get to talk to my friends later and go, how about that zombie baby? It wasn't that fun and silly. Can you believe that Sarah Pauly shot a zombie baby? <laughs> like that they show that it's, it's at least a thing. That <laughs> yeah, exactly. No other movie gives you that. So They should put that on the DVD. <laughs> no other movie will give you zombie babies. <laughs> so Luda is in the middle of this childbirth that leads to zombie baby. And, Michael, Kenneth, and the two up to this point confined security guards go to the parking garage to activate the emergency generator. And unfortunately, well, unfortunately, I say, but also who gives a shit? <laughs> Bart dies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, a, co- a cool, like, hanging zombie gets him. Like a nice yeah. variation in the enemy type. Yeah, it was cool. And uh, he drops down. They lose Bart, but they gain a dog named Chips, which not only Chips. seems fair, seems like they came out ahead in that deal. Oh, they totally did. They definitely <laughs> traded at least a closet racist for a dog. So I think they turned out good. Yeah, and uh, Chips is played by a dog named Blue. So good job, <laughs> Blue. Good research, George. Good research on this podcast. <laughs> This is this is what we strive for. Is at the very least you're going to get the names of all the animals that are in there. <laughs> I appreciate that. I genuinely do. <laughs> Meanwhile, Luda gives birth. She dies. Re- she reanimates, and Norma mm-hmm. kills Luda, which makes Andre find. That's the the breaking point for him. It wasn't yeah. the fact that his wife is a fucking zombie. <laughs> <laughs> and also, while Andre is like dealing with this pregnancy, she, when she dies. The baby is, like, still moving around yep. and, like, stretching yep. the belly. And yep. I genuinely out loud said, ugh. <laughs> no, it's disgusting. I think that's where the other version of that story goes. Yeah. In my head, is that she's dead and it, it bursts out full-on alien. But Yeah. It's, uh, it's intense. But she reanimates. Norma kills Luda. And Andre exchanges gunfire with Norma over this. And the two kill each other in a very Old West-style shootout. Oh, Mackay Pfeiffer goes down... Uh, firing while holding a zombie baby in his other hand, like, and he's doing full dramatic like pose. It's yeah. so good. It's, it's really fun. It's really oh. fun. Uh, and you know, say what you will want about the storyline. He's going for it, man. Oh yeah, he's fucking going for it. So you got to give respect to that at the very least. He treats it like a serious. This is like he's like this is the most serious part. Of the movie. <laughs> like this is that's my child. That's my child. One of the producers I was reading asked uh, Snyder in the commentary about how the mother of the baby felt about them pointing a handgun at the <laughs> child. <laughs> And uh, and Snyder, jokingly, but also not really joking, was like, she was there saying, I love show business, and I want my baby to be part of this. <laughs> I totally believe that. Holy shit. I hadn't thought about how the mother would probably need to be on set. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just like also. The- also, they the way they shot that probably didn't need to be the baby. Like, just, I, there's a there's a straight camera down shot on the baby. I get you got to have a real life kid before you you adjust it. Yeah. The shot of Sarah Paulson raising the gun that could have been a fake baby. Zach. Like, that didn't need to be the real kid. No, that's that's the only way you get the real emotions. <laughs> oh my god. I maybe I maybe change everything I feel about this movie now. <laughs> Um, and so after a passing joke where they do they kill this baby and then there's a, a joke about how uh, like where 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 could we possibly go like it doesn't matter if things are able to get in and all there there's all these zombies down there where can we possibly go and as a joke 
Ty Burrell's character says, "Why? Oh, what are we gonna like? Just hop on my yacht and get out of here?" And <laughs> yes, that's exactly what they're. Gonna yeah, no, that that sounds great. We did not know you had a boat this whole time. Also, most unbelievable part of the whole movie is that they lived with this guy for a month and he didn't talk about his boat. Yeah, that is a very good point. <laughs> he definitely it got mentioned in every. He had the boat keys on him. He definitely at some point at quiet dinner was like, "Oh, these the keys to my." <laughs> Oh, they they have a big thing on it, so they don't they don't sink. It's a boat. <laughs> of course, he's the one, and of course, that's a, a really great way of making it so that they still need him. Mm-hmm. Well, he's a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, it gives you a reason for why they're not just like pushing him out the door, which I think is <laughs> very funny and important. Yeah. So. They, we get another amazing montage here. I love this montage as well, where they're reinforcing two uh, shuttle buses from the garage to get them to this marina. They're, like, welding on snow plows. I love and, it. And attaching metal bars and chains, and they stop Even the art girl is spray-painting teeth on the front of the plow to make it look sick. Amazing. I, now, it's been a while since I've seen the original. That's not in the original at all, right? The battle bus thing is not... At any part of the, no. the original movie. No, they're, they are, as far as they're concerned, they're waiting out that whole goddamn apocalypse in the mall. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, so it's, it's, just, it's just a departure from the original in a way that it, someone who didn't have a lot of attachment to it, I don't mind. I, thought, I was like, oh, this is getting interesting now. Yeah, so to me, this was something I was thinking about as well. I think that it's a really interesting way that they also kind of tie in Day of the Dead Mm-hmm. The third one of the Romero zombie movies, because in that one, there's a big subplot where uh, one of the characters is constantly trying to get his friends to go with him in this helicopter and just fly to an island and wait it out. Oh, interesting. and so kind of br- like having that allusion to that, I think sort of brings up a lot of the same sort of emotions of like, how much do you owe it? to society to try and figure out what's happening and fix it versus I need to find safety for myself. And that's the most important thing. Totally. I think that it it does a really interesting job of bringing that up just by quickly tying that in. So just, uh, I think that's interesting. I think it's a really great way to keep things moving in this movie. So it's great. And the montage is amazing. They stock it with chainsaws and propane tanks and road flares and everything. And you just get this friggin' awesome, like death race friggin' bus best buy guy living out all of his fantasies is like hey hey uh sarah paulson look uh i made a, a window slot for chainsaws is that cool and she's like this is the most romantic thing that's ever been said to me not really i'm yeah. I'm, de- I'm dead inside but i appreciate it yeah hey safety first safety is safety romantic. first so Um, But they also say, while they're doing this, that Andy is part of the group, and they gotta go rescue him. I love it. I also love that. And Steve is reluctant, but they kind of pressure him into it. And so what they say that they're gonna do, because Andy is withering away over there because he has no food, uh, they strap supplies (laughs) to chips. (laughs) Chips is like a fundamental plot point of this movie. He really is, and... I mean, it's interesting that <clears throat> we've seen already that the zombies don't care about um, about dogs. They're not interested mm-hmm. in eating him. Mm-hmm. And so when they finally realize this and they, like, lower him into the parking lot, it's very tense. But you're also like, wow, this is a great idea on their part. Yeah. He's going to go in there. But, you know, this, this genius plan is also their downfall because Ugh. 
you can't be like, hey, dog, when you're done, make sure you close the door behind you. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that shot, and by the way, it's the cutest thing of, of seeing chips with, like, a combat vest <laughs> just presumably filled with Lunchables and juice, like, yeah. Is so cute and, it really and is. yeah, it's that it's that shot of through Ving Rames's binoculars. You get to see that close of the door in front of of Andy's ha- like gun store. The dog goes in. That oh fuck yeah, the dog made it in. It's totally good. And just that that hand like shoots Ugh. through perfectly out of frame to catch it at the last second before he can slide it down. And zombies just start like fucking shooting in there, dude. Like full on <laughs> diving in. Now's our chance. Now's our chance. And it's and it's heartbreaking. It's so it's so well like timed. Yeah, it really is. And Nicole, again, that's Frank's daughter, the one who's basically lost everyone, she goes off script and she crashes the delivery truck <laughs> into the gun store to yeah. get chips back. Not yeah. only because he's a good boy, but also because as her dad explained at the beginning, she's already lost a ton of people yeah. and she I like literally cannot handle another one mentally. Yeah, at, like at, when I when I was younger, I thought she was the dumbest character in the movie and now I'm like, no, I totally get it. I would go the after most my relatable dog. character. Yeah, I would go after my dog. I, even <laughs> if I know it's dumb, I would do it. Yeah. And she gets trapped in there by a zombified Andy. And when she's talking on the uh, walkie-talkie, honestly, when both of them, when Andy yeah. is talking on the walkie-talkie as well, and you're like, he's like, oh, wow, you got it to me. Oh, oh what? The, there's someone in here. Like, you're like, no, Andy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, it's hard. When, when Ving talks to him on the walkie-talkie, you realize they haven't talked at all and, per- you know, heard each other's voices. Yeah. And Andy doesn't know that a bite infects you yet. It's, like, heartbreaking. You're yeah. like, your favorite character isn't going to make it. Yeah, it, it's brutal, and you get a similar sort of thing where Nicole is is also trapped, and she is talking to them through the gun store, and she's very scared, and it's effective at making you scared on her behalf, and a group of them decides that they're going to go into the gun store via the sewers. I don't know why they didn't think about this when they were trying to get Andy. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> but well, because you know that the sewer levels are always the scariest levels of Resident Evil. That's true. They also they they're they're, <clears throat> they're still pretty reluctant, but they're like this is literally the only way left. And so they go in. They do make it thanks to some propane tanks that blow the shit out of these zombies. Yeah, and they kill Zombie Andy. They rescue Nicole. And when Andy gets killed, it, it, that's a practical effect, and it looks. <laughs> Amazing! They literally it, like. Is it? I couldn't tell. I yeah. couldn't tell how they did that one. They built a prosthetic head and just filled it with blood. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> yeah, it popped off so cleanly, like a flat, yeah, a flat top that I thought it must have been CG. It's a really good effect. Yeah, it's really great. And I also love that like Ving gets to do it. Like uh, you know, Kenneth. Like it, they're the they're the bromance of this movie, yeah. and it's just very much like, hey, buddy. Sorry, I got to do this to you, but Their I'm the first one to do meeting. It. <laughs> uh, it's it's so good. Yeah, and they while they're in this gun store, they do grab ammunition, which was also part of the reason why they were coming to get Andy, because they were like, we can't survive on just the, the ammo we have left, so we needed to go to this gun store. And fun fact, while they're stocking up, uh, the music from the gun store in the original film can be heard playing very lightly <laughs> oh, in the that's background. That's really cool. That's cute. Yeah, so thank you to IMDB for telling me that. <laughs> <laughs> and they head back to the mall, and along the way, Tucker breaks his leg. You oh, hate that, to say it. Oh, that's such a that's such a good such a good break. He falls through the manhole in the chaos. So Oof. he just hits the sewer and like breaks both legs. Absolutely brutal. And he starts getting devoured. And CJ, who has, uh, as we've sort of mentioned earlier, he's 
sort of midway in his arc at this point. Yeah. And he shoots Tucker out of mercy. And Oh, sorry, George. I was going to call out the amazing action shot that I think I've seen like 10 movies rip off since of right before he gets it. CJ is pulling him by the neck. Oh yeah, because his legs are broken and giving and giving. What, sorry, what his name is I forget all of their names. Tucker. Tucker, the kind of nice good old boy <laughs> with the broken legs, gives him both guns. So he is firing both pistols at the zombie as he's dragged <laughs> backwards through the sewer. It's such a. It's almost like silly, but it's yeah. great. Like oh yeah, they're getting along. Ah. Yeah. Yeah, it's teamwork makes the dream work, except it doesn't work because he gets <laughs> eaten. And <laughs> they get back to the mall, but they're, they can't even open the door because Steve abandoned his guard post. Classic Steve. Uh, Steve. And you get some really uh, – this is, again, classic Snyder. This really reminded me of Sucker Punch in particular. These slow-mo spent shells and casings popping mm, out of the guns. Sure. And it's just blat, 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 blat. It's, it's, it's a fun scene. Um, and Anna is finally there to let them in. So they manage to get in. But zombies storm the mall at this point. They, they've gotten in. And this forces an early evacuation in their death race buses. Mm-hmm. And when you see how many are out there, it's genuinely like, oh, fuck. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know if they're going to make it through this. This yeah. is like... It, it looks like 10,000 10, people. Yeah, it's funny because, like, while they're building these buses, you're like, this seems like overkill. And then no. <laughs> when you see what they're up against, you're like, it's too bad that you don't have more time to really stock up here because yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's hell out there, literally. And in the chaos of driving through, Glenn loses control of one of these chainsaws. <laughs> oh, my God. He kills himself and Monica. Truly the most ineffectual character, I think, in that he yeah. is a net negative. <laughs> yeah, all, all he really serves is, I don't know if it was in the theatrical version, the unrated one I watched, there was a scene I didn't remember before of of Glenn in the early on just talking to CJ and the other guard about how when he realized he was gay. Yeah. And it's like, a I guess, an honest scene, and it's just CJ is annoyed to hear about a man's sexual awakening as yeah. they do put as they do push-ups and I'm like I strange character detail but okay I mean it's almost like a gay panic joke character but not in a way that felt at least to me like Simigate was making fun of him it was just a no, thing No I, I agree it didn't it didn't feel like the joke was at the expense of Glenn I think that it's it's a fine scene, and I think that it just makes CJ look shitty, which he is, and uh, and that's the point. So. Yeah, but but yeah, no one taught Glenn or or Maya. I, I Monica, not, Monica. My, do these names like fall out of my? They're head all generic out? names. They're, too, they're like. all generic <laughs> names. Yeah, and and they all have little time enough that you really get to know any of them. But like. Monica and them going, I'm like, yeah, I don't think they would know how to handle a chainsaw. Yeah. Uh, driving through crowds of people, I don't think you'd be able yeah. Yeah, and this is another practical effect that is freaking great, where they built a full-body cast of actress mm-hmm. Kim Poirier, and it included a reloadable cartridge in the area that was going to be chainsawed, so they could keep cutting it in half. <laughs> That's great. Just packing it solid with blood bags. and I want to know how many blood bags they had to eat. Like how many times did they cut into that model? Yeah. Zach, let us know, man. Reach out. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the blood and havoc that does come from this double murder-suicide is intense. And 
they crash and Steve tries to flee on his own. This is again that selfish nature of his been shown again and again and again. He tries to get out there, but he it immediately leads to his downfall where he's ambushed by a zombie and Anna kills the zombified Steve with extreme prejudice. <laughs> oh, it's great. Even Ving Rhames is like, damn, that's yeah. a good shot. Yeah, it's very satisfying. Right in the forehead, Steve, rest in pieces, you shithole. <laughs> <laughs> Go back to Peabody and Sherman, you fuck. <laughs> and uh, she retrieves his boat keys as well, which is obviously crucial. And no, everyone is like, Anna, what the hell are you doing? Come on, Anna. And then she shows them, and they're all like, oh, Anna, you know. You know everything. So <laughs> good for you, Anna. And they do finally get to the marina where CJ... Arc completed. Arc completed. Sacrifices himself so that the others can escape. Good for you, CJ. Oh, yeah. His trademark phrase, uh, fucking nursery school or whatever, I think is said multiple times. He's still an asshole, but at least he gets this one moment. And uh, Michael, in this moment, probably should have been the one to stay behind, reveals that he had a bite wound. (laughs) Yeah. So he kills himself. As Anna, Kenneth, Nicole, Terry, and Chips flee on the yacht. <laughs> yeah, and and I do I do like the it, it wrapping up in a big bow with like them getting to kiss each other and like just sail off would have felt almost too corny. Yeah. and that very tragic of like him pushing the boat off the dock, knowing it's the right thing to do, is at least a valid payoff for. He was willing to be so cold with other people's lives that he knows to make that same call about himself. He's very much like, there's nothing we can do. I'm just yeah. going to stay here and watch the sunrise. And and, and, I, and I like that moment a lot. I do, too. I'm curious what you think about the original ending idea where oh. they were. So it was going to be very similar, but he wanted to cut while he was looking at the gun. And interesting. So you, the way that it works out is we hear the gunshot ring out and they go for it. But originally it was supposed to be ambiguous. And I'm curious if you like having a definitive answer because it does provide that character moment, or if you would have maybe preferred this ambiguous ending. That's a, that's a really good question. You know, I, it's hard for me to say, I usually uh, feel like I have a pretty knee jerk instant reaction to those moments, but I think because him pushing the boat away was already kind of pulling the trigger, so to speak. Mm -hmm. You know, him saying, I'm not going on the Freedom Express and I'm going to stay here as a horde of zombie trying to climb over a burning car. Him pulling it or not, like, he's already kind of accepted his fate. Right. I I totally see, actually, both both versions of the ambiguousness of would he have enough guts to... Sorry, have enough guts. That sounds so gross. Like, yeah, man, you man, never (laughs) kill yourself. But, like, would he be able to do it? uh, Right. I'm not sure. That's a really interesting question. It's, it's interesting that that was uh, le- both left in and, and that they thought about taking it out. Yeah, I, I How agree. How do you feel about it? I uh, think that I like that he does it because for exactly the reasons that you were talking about where that kind of not callousness with people's lives, but kind of the willingness to do what needed to be done where he was right about Frank turning. And Mm -hmm. he's right about what needs to happen here. He knows that he's essentially dead already. And so I think having that kind of consistency of will is good for him. And I like it. Yeah, and and in comparison of 
how you feel about the credits uh, post-mortem or mm. pro, uh, not prologue, what epilogue. epilogue, thank you, thank you. I'm a writer, I know words. <laughs> you know, the, ep- the credits epilogue, he maybe saved himself some trouble. That kind of, you know what I mean? Like yeah, that yeah. sort of, it's, it's, it's kind of a, a dark ending, which I also love this credit scene, which by the way, if we could talk about it, like. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, so the, the credits start to roll and as they do, footage from the camcorder that they found on Steve's boat shows the group kind of running out of supplies, arriving at an island and then being attacked by oh. a swarm of zombies. Oh, I, one detail, George, I got to add. The random boat floating in the middle of the water that just has a zombified head in the cooler. Yeah. Like, <laughs> in, in the middle of the adventure, it's like, that, that must have been a day. That must have yeah. been a fascinating day on the boat. It's just, it's like a little <laughs> mini short movie told over, like, three-second bursts of video. It's really kind of interesting. Yeah, it, it's really cool. And when they get attacked by the swarm of zombies... This is where we get the ambiguous ending, where yeah. the camcorder drops and it leaves their fate unknown. Yeah, certainly things look bleak for the group, but who knows? Who knows what happened? So yeah, if you want to ho- listen, Ving Rhames says the black guy lives at the end. Yeah. So I'm going to take that as canon confirmation that at least he gets away, gets back on the boat, has a fun adventure somewhere. There you go. The continuing adventures of Kenneth. Oh my God! He, I would I would watch the fuck out of that movie series oh my are you kidding me him traveling like mad max through the dawn of the dead world no, that oh would be God. sick especially they have to keep it ving rames though it oh, has of course. to still yeah. be him he's he's doing like arby's commercials he's probably down to do another one yeah zach don't only hit us up hit up <laughs> hit up ving get this going because well so there were plans for a sequel entitled army of the dead with snyder producing right. instead of directing and somewhere along the line this got canceled but Last year, Netflix picked it back up and put Snyder in the director's seat instead of the producer's seat. So huh. fans of this movie might have something new and exciting to look forward to. So he's gonna like he would do another I didn't see any news story about that, so he'd be doing another Dawn of the Dead or yeah. a sequel to this one. Yeah. That's that's interesting. I mean, I'd be I'll be curious to check it out. I, I uh I always was kind of confused because, you know, so I I saw this movie when it came out, fucking loved it. Whatever the next year or so where Land of the Dead came out. Right. It felt like it was supposed to be a sequel to this, despite not being any... I don't think there's any actual ties lore-wise. I could be wrong. And it was such a departure from this one that I was like, I guess there's already been sequels. But yeah. they're, they're really just of the dead movies. Right. Yeah. And, and you know, that's all kind of its own nebulous thing, just because the rights are so weird from the original uh, right. that it becomes kind of this weird blender where there's 50 half-sequels and you know, second cousins and all kinds of shit. So who knows? Maybe it'll be good. Maybe it won't even happen. Who knows? But <laughs> we've reached now the point, Chad, where we sum up why this is the best horror movie ever made. <laughs> and so I will let you start us off. Oh, man. Okay, cool. Okay, cool, cool, cool. This movie is one of the best horror movies ever made. Because it helped establish a... Why am I trying to start this like I'm on debate club? Uh, (laughs) It helped establish a a zombie craze that we are, I would say, arguably still suffering from. uh, (laughs) Of of, of a trend that has just accelerated to a giant multimedia genre. And for good or bad, 
helped cement the careers of two giant blockbuster creatives. James, I know Gunn and Snyder both had worked beforehand, but a very great mixing of their styles to make a more of a, yeah, like a more of a mainstream horror movie that I think you could theoretically show to most people who are, have a passing interest in the zombie genre and pick up a lot of the greatest hits. That, that's what I'm going to retroactively change it to. I think this is a great way to, uh, to re-sum up several decades of zombie movies, the good and bad parts of a lot of them, yeah. into this is covered by this film. I totally agree. Uh, to me, this is the best horror movie ever made because it takes a lot of what makes the original one interesting and subverts it, but not in a way that comes at the expense of the movie. And in mm -hmm. fact makes it more accessible because you know god love him romero is incredible but a lot of people are bored by his movies because mm. a lot of the times the zombies are not the real threat it's really about the human element and totally. their dynamics together and when people go to see a horror movie that's not always what they're looking for and so this manages to still touch on some of the themes that are brought up in the original dawn of the dead but create a platform for them that is more accessible to a mainstream audience and that people who are into horror and are looking for something that kind of brings the elements that they're more used to, it Trojan horses these yeah. great Romero elements in as well. Like Goosebumps was a gateway drug for, for horror for kids. Exactly. I think this is a great my first horror movie in a weird way. I, I totally agree. I, I think that this is exactly the kind of thing where you're a kid and you're looking to just get some splatter and you know have the the zombies are fast and they're intense and they are the threat in this uh, but you also have that human element where you know cj is an asshole and are are the humans gonna be at each other's throats too much it, it really just all works it comes together and it brings the best of the old and the best of the new and it puts it into one best horror movie ever made chad thank you so much for coming on uh this was amazing why don't you tell the people where they can find you if they want to hear more of course thank you so much by the way george i had a blast i am sorry for for talking your ear off about a almost 20 year old zombie movie <laughs> uh you can find me on uh several things george uh, of course has already mentioned the comedy podcast uh goosebuds where myself, uh, Paul, and Dom, uh, and joined by several guests, including George, uh, cover different Goosebump books. Uh, it's a it's a great time. We also do other stuff like Animorphs, and we're going to do a Boxcar Children at some point. I, oh, I, yeah. I goddamn promise. <laughs> uh, you can come and check that out. Uh, it's we do uh, at least an episode at least every month. Uh, you search Goosebuds Pod on uh, goosebudspod.com or on Twitter. Uh, most podcasting services are all there. You can also check out uh, some cartoons uh, I write for uh, during the day. Guillermo del Toro's Troll Hunters. Speaking of horror masters, uh, for uh, I very obviously did not pick Guillermo's stuff for bias reasons, but uh, <laughs> uh, Guillermo del Toro's great animated family uh, series, Troll Hunters, is on Netflix. Its sequel uh, series, Wizards, that I wrote on is coming out sometime this summer. And uh, let's see, you can check out Unikitty on Cartoon Network or Warner Brothers. And uh, I recently worked on a Star Trek cartoon for Nickelodeon that'll come out sometime in the future. That sounds rad. So sounds rad. definitely check those things out. And yeah, go listen to my episode of Goosebuds if you haven't already, guys. Come on.
It was a it was a blast of an episode, George. It was it was really great to have your horror expertise uh, <laughs> coming and weighing in on a a very bizarre episode. It was a weird uh, one. It was a very weird one, but but, uh, but yeah, I I had a great time as well. So definitely go listen to that. As far as my plugs, you can find me on Twitter at Little Horror PHL. You can find the show on all major podcast platforms, but you can also see it on LittleHorrorPHL.com if you feel like not listening to it on a podcast platform for some reason. And that also has links to merch and all the social places, so go do that. And also, leave us a rating and a review on iTunes because it's very helpful. Do it. Do it. It's really good for podcasts. Help out, George. Help me out, guys. Help me to help you because the bigger it gets, the more I can bring you. (laughs) So... (laughs) And that's it for me. So uh, thanks again, Chad. See ya. See ya.